It's Sunday, and have we got a story for you. Welcome to Stories Unlimited with your host, Dave Casey, coming to you from the North Shore of Chicago, where it has been cloudy and gloomy since the last time we talked. And I'm Don Woodard from Asheville, North Carolina, the final resting place for uh, William Sidney Porter. Now, Dave, I, you know, I, I, I don't expect you to know who that is. If you do, you're even more brilliant than, than I already assumed you are. I do believe there was a there was a building named after him at the University of North Carolina. Well, that would be a different Porter, and you were right, because when I saw uh, uh, this man's real name, I, I wondered about that. But it is a different Porter, but you're right. No, uh, uh, William Sidney Porter is the uh, birth name of O. Henry, the great short story writer. Oh, wow. And I, I bring it up at le- because it leads me to the song Pina Colada, <laughs> which, which, which is, I'm surprised it didn't win an O. Henry short story writing award in, in terms of the, the irony. Uh, he sells his watch uh, uh, to, to buy a, uh, what, a, a brush. She cuts yeah. her, she sells her hair to buy a watch chain. Uh, Pina Colada, what do you know? They're both looking for each other, uh, uh, his special lady, as he sings, uh, and and uh, they find each other answering uh, uh, his ad, looking for someone else. So, Wow, so, the uh, gift of the Magi goes pop rock. <laughs> it is. It is a, uh, and I actually bring that up be, uh, obliquely leading to our subject today because it's one of the last songs I remember listening to in 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 the the heart of AM top forty music, it it, it wow. be, really began dying out. That was like nineteen seventy nine, nineteen eighty. I think it was nineteen seventy nine. Uh, yeah. And and that's that's what we're going to be talking about. At least fifty percent of it, because what got you started on this idea, which is what the one you came up with, is. The idea of the transistor radio, which played a very big part in our young lives. And uh, I thought that's a fabulous idea. I haven't thought about it in, in, in ages. One, one of the devices that most shaped my life, even more than the computer, the laptop, all that rot that came after the transistor radio, we don't even need as a society. It's the transistor radio that was the most beautiful device of my youth. Uh, it, it allowed music and sports to be portable. You could carry it around with you. You could listen to it anywhere. And it just brought a great deal of joy. In the case of sports, mostly a great deal of heartache. But at least <laughs> I got to listen to it live right. as it occurred. And and so I learned a little bit about them. And and you're 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 right when you say, uh, or I, I assume you're you're right. You you say it it had a great deal to do with forming your own life. But but really, it it had a ton to do with changing the culture of American society. It was the first time kids, teenagers, could listen to their own music away from their parents. You know, before that, you had the giant hi-fi in the living room or, the, yes. you know, the radio that you sat around and listened to. And it was this heavier opened, than a refrigerator. Exactly. And this opened the door. You could go in your room and listen to what you wanted to listen to. Or 
and 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 take it you know anywhere you wanted to go it's interesting so i will now gas on a, a just briefly about the history of it yeah it was invented in 1954 it was invented by texas instruments wow didn't know and, that and the first transistor radio was called the tr1 which i you know i if you remember I, you know the, the, the really rich kids in high school or college had those incredibly expensive Texas instrument uh, calculators. And they were sure. like the, the TR something. They all, they all had a TR number, I guess. But, but the TR1 was a transistor radio. Awesome. It came out in 1954. It, it, was, uh, it cost uh, $49.95. Which, which is equivalent to $117 now. And if you wanted, you could have a leather uh, uh, jacket for it. Oh, beautiful with those little air holes in it. So <laughs> exactly. exactly. That was $3.75. And you could have an earplug, and that was another $7.50. And the speaker was two and three quarter inches wide. So from that... All other transistor radios were born. And I got to believe it was a big factor in Japan's rebirth after World War II. That in the 100%. 100%. Because they started making them here as well. Uh, Texas Instruments stopped making them because it was so expensive for them to make it. And then, you know, uh, 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 Philco and, and RCA and all these you know, well-known American companies could not keep up and make them as cheaply as the Japanese. So they had their own transistor radios. I think that may be what I had the first time, but they were all made in Japan. And you're absolutely right. I'm guessing if you went back and looked at what what the real post-war boom was, uh, it's largely the, the transistor radio was responsible for that. Sony built an empire on it. And, yep. uh, you know, then the car companies came along. Of course, they had transistor radios in their dashboard. Right. And, uh, God, the, the, the uh, you know, the war-torn Japan came back, got on its feet, because you and I both remember when it was a joke, if something was made in Japan. Of I course. Mean, that, was the, that was the kiss of death in terms of quality. Oh, yeah, it was a joke. But it soon became the gold standard after, you know, pretty soon Japan got to be known as, man, they make some damn fine things because America had, you know, gotten a little more involved in uh, saving on production and yeah. Japan just kept on humping with great quality. Yeah. So, so, uh, you know, I had forgotten that, of course, uh, you know, what I, you know, I don't know, you know, listen, I, I, you know, radio television was my major in college, but I, I couldn't tell you what a transistor is and how it works. I do know that it replaced the tube. Oh yeah. And, and which, which reminded me, I don't know, maybe I've mentioned this here before, but, you know, back in the day in your, in your, in your, your grandparents radio or, or, and, or TV, you had those tubes, you know, they looked like, I don't know, like, like little, uh, little light bulbs, I guess they were, you know, they varied anywhere from like, you know, two inches long to four inches to the big mothers and that kind of thing. And if, and if one went out, you, you took it to the Seven Eleven. And they had a tube tester, and and, uh, and you had a book that told you, uh, you know, if you got wavy lines going this way, uh, maybe this tube, and you take that out, 
And, and they, my parents would send me to the 7-Eleven and plop that tube in and, and it would either go green or red. And you, you know, if it went red, you knew, oh, well, I need this tube again. And, you know, you could, tubes in those days were as ubiquitous as toilet paper. I mean, any, any store uh, in America would have, uh, have those tubes, all of which is leading up to saying those days ended when the transistor radio came along. Look at the benefits. You not only had portable music, the you washed your hands of all that. It, it's like, yeah, like you said, all those chores, all those. You have to send your kid to the store to get the tubes, and oh my God, it was just a mess. And the transistor was clean, portable, and the sound was quite good. Of course, we weren't all into audio quality that much in those days but it was good enough for who it was for we all enjoyed listening to it and i don't recall anybody ever gone oh i can't stay i can't really get the full depth of wild thing over a transistor radio <laughs> did you uh, all right so did you have your own transistor radio I did not. Um, as you know, as any listener will tell you, I'm a slow adapter. I just, you know, when a device comes out, I'll wait a quarter century before I get my hands on one. What what I did. Yeah, by the do, way, congratulations on your first laptop. I, uh, yes, yes, it's it's a thing of beauty. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. but no, my dad had one, therefore I didn't need one. And of course, transistor radios. It lasted for 20 years. It, right. it did not die. It kept going and going and going. So your and, dad had a transistor radio. I, I would have assumed you said you would say, no, my, but my brother did. Because no, you, no, you and I have the dad, older brother thing. I tell you what, my dad had, this is, my dad had the one with the black. It was black, of course, of all the different colors you can choose. He chose sure. black. Sure. Um, then he put he put it in a black leather sleeve that had the air holes that fascinated me beyond belief. The other thing that fascinated me was that 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 black exterior always reminded me of an Eskimo bar. It was like, oh, I'm covering my transistor radio in a rich chocolatey layer. David, get that radio out of your mouth. Like exactly, and it had these air holes, which let the sound go out. It had a neat little snap, so it fit to snugly on there. And yeah. then the earphones were a, a whole other thing. My dad really didn't use earphones. We didn't get earphones till I think my brother purchased them so he could listen to his music without anybody bitching about it. Right, or maybe the World Series or, uh, uh, in, in yes. school. Yes, but let me finish my dad's point. He got the transistor radio so he could listen to Eagles and Phillies games while washing the car or painting the house wow. or, going, or going to the beach. If you're sitting on the beach, and that is one thing that was just so Jersey Shore, is everybody had a towel and an umbrella and their own radio going. So that when you sat down at the Jersey Shore, you heard the Phillies game. You heard Bison, Bill Campbell, Richie Ashburn. Those voices were as comforting as your own mother's voice, telling you exactly what was going on. And then you had about only two different channels were generally at that WFIL and WIBG, the top 40 pop 
rock and roll stations were going, but you'd be hearing different songs around the beach, and you would literally run from, like, The Wanderer into Don't Mess With Bill as you were, like, uh, jogging down the beach going after the Frisbee. Right. it, but that that was every, it was all about the games though. Right? Every camp had their own radio, and then eventually, like somebody would turn theirs up really loud, and everybody else would fold it up and just ah hell, let's just listen to that. Save but, the batteries. Save the batteries exactly, <laughs> and they did run on batteries. Yeah, sure. Well, uh, you know, as a uh, Cowboys and Cardinals fan, let me just say what a. What a tremendous waste of hard-earned money uh, for all you people up there buying your radios to to listen to the Phillies and uh, and the Eagles. I, I that's 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 very sad. I, I that, that what a horrible uh, man your father must have been. That's why I brought up heartbreak because listening to the Eagles and the Phillies <laughs> oh, through the sixties. Oh, oh man, that that just oh it tempered you in steel for heartbreak because sure. It, uh, you know, there was 162 heartbreaks a year. Yeah, but it didn't stop you from listening. No, no. You still felt like this was the year. This was the game. This was the inning. It, the Hope sprung eternal. And yeah. my greatest memory of a transistor radio, Father's Day, 1964, playing at the pool like I did every day and uh, during the summer, playing tag. I can still remember we would play kamikaze tag, which... Uh, based on the post-World War feeling that the, uh, you know, if you did anything crazy and suicidal, you right. called it kamikaze. Yes. Blank. And we called it kamikaze tag because we would run as fast as we could until the lifeguards ordered us to stop. And we would dive blindly into the pool being chased by the guy who was it. And then once in midair, in a crowded pool, you would contort yourself so you wouldn't, hurt anybody when you landed on them and that was half the fun of it so you say and now and then you would smash into somebody but that just doubled the fun sure and we're playing kamikaze tag having the time of our life and my dad who only went to the pool about two times a year fourth of july and father's day he comes to the edge of the pool and he beckons me and i'm like oh god what did i do now so I paddle over to the side of the pool, and he goes, "You got to get out of the water and listen to this game on the t- on the radio." I'm like, "What?" And so I follow him, soaking wet. I towel off, and I'm informed that Jim Bunning is pitching a perfect game against the Mets. Ooh. It's now halfway through the eighth inning, and my dad describes to me what a perfect game is. He hasn't allowed a single runner on base, no errors, no singles, nothing. And it's very rare. It hadn't happened in the National League for like over a decade at that point. And Jim Bunning's pitching, our our ace Phillies pitcher, 1964, the team was on a roll for a change, about the only year we were ever on, on target for a pennant in the entire 60s. And there's a bunch of other dads gathered around the radio dying with every pitch and it's on the radio. So you can't see it. You don't know anything. You have to go on the crowd's reaction right. and then the announcer's voice. Right. And, and he's, he's mowing guys down, Jim Bunning one after the next, it goes into the, the Phillies go up, come up in the, uh, they came up in the ninth because they were playing at uh, Shea stadium in, uh, in, uh, what do you call it? New York playing the Mets. 
who were a very bad team at that point. You know, they were an expansion team. And, but still, we were rolling with a perfect game, and every dad gathered around that trans, my dad's transistor radio, and I felt a little bit of pride in the fact that, yeah, my dad is like the center of the universe here. And, and everybody's just hanging on every pitch, and when the last strike is called on, I think, Wayne Stevenson of the Mets, the, the pool the, around where we were sitting about – 15, 20 guys throw their arms up and just rejoice, and everybody went crazy. And it was just the most – I just thought, like, this was such a magical moment. And How I old were you? So glad. Well, it was 64, so I was probably uh, about eight at yeah. the time. Yeah, okay. Yep. And, you know, just at that age where you're loving baseball for the, you know, for the pure joy of the game. Absolutely. You don't really know all the rules, but you know sure. enough that, but you, you know, know the names, you know all the players. Oh, yeah. And, and here's how young I was in my impression of baseball. Three days after that game, Jim Bunning actually lived in the summers in the Parkway Apartments in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, <laughs> my hometown. Right. So. My mom has this idea. I, I actually wrote a book, a small book, about an eight to ten page book I did with crayons and and pictures from the newspaper describing Jim Bunning's perfect game. Right. So, I, so I had this do thick document of crayons and uh, ink and, and pictures from the paper. And I, I was saying I'd love to give it to Jim Bunning. And my mom goes, well... Why don't we? He lives, you know, half mile from here. I'm like, what? what? He goes, yeah. She informed me that Jim Bunning was living in the Parkway Apartments. I'm like, how is that even possible? So we get in the car and we're driving to get Jim Bunning's autograph. And I'm going to give him this, this book that I have, my first book I ever authored. And the last. So I'm <laughs> holding this. And we're driving to Jim Bunnings, and I'm so damn excited. I have a baseball, and you know, I'm just like in a pen. We get to, we roll up to the Parkway Apartments, and I've got to climb up a set of stairs. He's, he lives on the second floor. How we knew? Oh, I know how we knew it. We drove up and we asked some kids if they knew where Jim Bunning lived. Of course they did. And the kids are sitting around going, "Oh yeah, he's right up there." And they gave me an apartment number. So I go up there. I'm a little nervous, a little nervous. Knock on the door. It opens. And there's like three kids who, like two boys and a girl, or two girls and a boy. It was hard to tell because all three looked exactly like Jim Bunning, but with youthful hair instead. The, the, the DNA was very strong in that family, <laughs> that way. Right, And I got, then I freaked out because I'm thinking I expected Jim Bunning to answer the door dressed in his baseball uniform. I didn't realize <laughs> this was too close to me interrupting their life and, and dealing with people I hadn't expected to deal with. Like I, I was like, is, is, instead of saying, is your dad home? I immediately turned around and ran down the stairs back into the car. Remember, no, I'm eight years old and I'm like, mom, 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 there was all these people there. They were, there were kids there. It wasn't Jim Bunning. They looked like Jim Bunning, but it wasn't Jim Bunning. And uh, she goes, well, that's his family. 
you know, and I go, yeah, but I, I thought I was going to deal with Jim Bunning. I didn't know I was going to have to talk to the, these these kids. And she's like, no, no, if you want his autograph, you need to ask politely to speak with their dad. I'm like, oh, my God, that's too much real life. Because I'm thinking to myself, how would my dad feel if somebody came to his door uninvited? He'd A kid. Be off. And, and, and if they, he'd be like, Tell them to scram. <laughs> so that's what I was thinking. I'm like, well, my mom convinced me that, that Jim Bunning would love to talk to me and, and, and have my book. So I'm like, okay, that's my in. I've got this book. I, I did for him. I'm going to. So when I go back up the second time, my mom comes with me. I have my book out. And the door answers again. And this time, it, because it was within three minutes, Jim Bunning probably figured it. His kids probably went, Dad, that stupid kid's back again. <laughs> so Jim Bunning answers the door with his kids behind him now. And he had like seven of them. And again, I'm getting over the shock. He's wearing a checkered shirt that has, he has not wearing a ball cap. He's not wearing his Phillies pinstripe uniform. I'm like, if you're a major leaguer, why would you ever not wear your uniform? And right. I really half expected the door to open and there'd be like Johnny Callison, West Covington, <laughs> and maybe, you know, t uh, uh, who was their other pitcher? Um, Chris Short sitting in there, like just talking baseball. I didn't think right. they ever quit, you know, being baseball players. Yeah, who knew they had a family? Right? Who knew they had a life outside of baseball? So he does come to the door. He's like 6'6 six, six or something. He's, you know, I'm like, my neck can barely look up that high. And he's nice as can be. And my mom says, Jim, this is your biggest fan. And he has something for you. And so I, I gave him the book. <laughs> and he looked at it and he leafed through it. And he, you know, he seemed impressed. He probably threw it out the second I, you know, <laughs> back down the stairs. But, uh, you know, he probably put it with the fish and the last night's tacos. But he goes, oh, this is wonderful. Thank you so much. Would you like me to autograph that baseball? I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, I probably didn't form three words. And right. he takes the baseball and he writes on it. And I still have it. Still have it in my, uh, now it's in my My next house. question. And, uh. So that was the power of the transistor radio. If I hadn't listened to that game, it sure. wouldn't have it wouldn't have felt real. If I had just read it in the paper, eh, you know, another day, another dollar. But because I that transistor radio pulled me into that 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 happening, I felt attached. I felt a part of that whole thing. And I, I really felt like I was there when Jim Bunning pitched his perfect game. Yeah, it's interesting, too, you know, because I, I actually that just popped in my head was, you know, during events like that, they always say that, you know, the perfect game or a certain Super Bowl, like, you know, there's only X number of people in the seats, but there's about 10X number of people who say they were there. And yes. I'm guessing, I'm guessing a lot of it, it, it over the years is, well, I thought I was there, but actually, no, I was actually, I was at the swimming pool and I heard, I heard the game on the radio, you know, yeah. I mean, that's, I think that, that makes, first of all, that, uh, uh, that, that story, uh, it sounds, it sounds like something in a Barry Lev Levinson movie, <laughs> you know, well, I mean, it really life, does, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's great to be like around the pool and getting out and everybody 
you know, listening. I, I just saw Radio Days uh, uh, again recently with Woody oh, Allen, yeah. and uh, there are those moments where everybody's sort of gathered around and, and listening to things. But 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 it is. Uh, I love your story. I'm just disappointed it didn't end with, and that book now is in Cooperstown yeah. at the enshrined, Baseball Hall of Fame. Yes, it's enshrined in the Hall of Fame uh, <laughs> with Jim Bunning's locker from that. Yeah, day. right next to the ball that he threw you know, in the last pitch of the perfect game. Cause you know, that ball's there. Yes. Yes. Interesting. Well, uh, so, so your dad had one again, yeah. to listen to the game. So it wasn't, it wasn't, a, he wasn't listening to like Elvis Presley and, 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 you know, top, top 40. Uh, As a matter of fact, he uh-oh. did listen to classical music on it when there wow. was no ball game while he was, I mean, imagine washing the car. That's how my dad. Yeah. Well, my that's dad true. No, absolutely. Yeah. Listening Otherwise to classical you music it. on a transistor radio. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's true. I think, I think my brother had one when he was in like seventh, eighth, ninth grade in junior high. He must have. And because I remember like, uh, you know, we, between that and going over to the Ken and Steve Williams house, who were a couple of years older than us. And they had all the great, like the newest Beach Boys album, the newest Beatles, the, you know, the animals, I mean, they, they, yes. they, but I think he had this, uh, uh, this Emerson, uh, a little, little blue Emerson. I don't know why I remember it. Maybe it was some kid next door, but, uh, he'll have to, he'll have to let me know when I see him this weekend. But, uh, it, yeah, it never, uh, another piece of my research was that in the sixties, the typical transistor radio cost about $15. Well, you know, that was impossible. I, I that was, that, oh, by the way, I was wrong about the $117 in today's dollars. Uh, uh, that's what uh, $15 was. $15 was, okay. would, would be $117 a day. So okay. no way a yeah. kid, a, a fourth grader in Denison, Texas. Plus, like, you know, I'm trying to like listen to my brother's music and I'm, you know, I, I, and I can remember standing out in the street in the evenings and one kid, Al Conine, had had a transistor radio in the front basket of his Stingray. Oh, sweet! And and I, uh, uh, I I'm every time I hear Brown Eyed Girl. Oh, and they uh, even mentioned transistor radio in the song. Yes. Oh my God, you're right. Well, that's thank you. Yes, transistor radio. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> you're. Thank you. I, 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 it is still like that, that moment of kind of hearing those songs. I mean, that, that, and, you know, we can merge a little into just AM radio in general because it was such a giant part of, of my life. And I printed out like the top 100 songs from 67 to 72, right before I, I went away to, to high school. And there's so many great, dare I say, earworms. Yeah, you know songs that I like. I, I I have had you know I have had so many songs in my head all day and go like, okay, well I got to get rid of this song. What what else can I think of? You know, I mean, but but it was to a again again if you know devoted listeners will know I've made this pitch several times. I was the lonely boy. I, I would spend, thanks to the transistor radio that I finally got when we moved to Miami, Florida, hours and hours in my room listening to W uh, 
WFUN and okay. WQAM. Nice QAM was, was 560. That was a giant. Oh, yeah. That was a giant station. We liked WFUN in our neighborhood because they were closer. And, and uh, uh, it, it was, I mean, those stations must have had a lot of power and influence. I'm assuming they had permission to do this, but they would do bumpers before songs where they would insert the call letters of the station to the music of the song, like with, you know, higher singers. So the one I remember was George Harrison, What Is Life? And then and then it would go W Q A M W Q A M Miami bum 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 What I feel I mean I mean I just every time I hear George Harrison What Is Life I as a kid I remember going like well, did he like go to Miami and say, okay, I'm going to produce this foot and put it in my song. And yeah, that's brilliant. You you bring up an interesting point. They probably were so seamless that I don't even remember, you know, it seemed like it was natural. Seamless is right. Because it was like those guys, you know, I listen to Howard Stern a lot and he talks, he does, he talks about what a horrible DJ he was back in the day, but, and, 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 you know, how he, he, riffs a lot about about the radio industry and you know the idea that there's actually a radio hall of fame and all that but but he does give kudos to those guys who were really good at you know they must have been octopi you know they 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 you're like one hand taking the needle off of one you're starting another one you've got a cart with an ad and you're gonna you know you're gonna uh uh pitch the uh the bake sale at uh you know my miami Edison yes. high school and you know i mean it just ha- and, and, and it was important because that's where every kid got all his information. They were the gateway of your musical taste and, right. and cultural taste in, in a big way. And in fact, I can even remember that, that, and I can't even remember what the subtleties were. Maybe it was just how you, how likable the DJs were, but sure. I was a big WFIL fan versus Wibbage, W-I-B-G in Philadelphia. Now, right. Wibbage had some great voices. They had Joe the Rockin' Bird Niagara, who introduced the first introduced the Beatles on the uh, in the Philadelphia market. Uh, yeah. And they had, uh, I believe they had High Lit, which is still the greatest DJ name of all time because High and Lit are two different ways to describe getting high on marijuana. Yeah, I'm totally lit and I'm high. No, I'm high lit. And what an amazing call name. Then there was Jerry Blavitt, the Gita with the heater, the boss with the hot sauce, who has his own spread in the catalog of cool. That's how outrageous that cat was. Yeah. I still preferred WFIL. And maybe it was because they they just seemed younger and, yeah. and hipper. The other guy's seemed like they were trying too hard on women that's like uh, uh even in in like first through fourth grade we lived in denison texas the station to listen to was in dallas klif klif the mighty 1190 and it was created by this guy named uh, uh gordon mcclendon mcclendon gordon mcclendon uh-huh. he he it was a i can't remember it must have been at night 
they got more power. Like they turned the wattage up. I can't remember because you could only get it during certain times. Okay. But that was the cool, like the big city station. And that guy, I was, I was looking him up and said, you know, he, he had the first mobile news units in American radio. He had the first traffic reports and he had the first jingles on radio. So, I mean, in Dallas, Texas. So, but it was like all, all other stations were pretenders to the throne. You listened to KLIF 1190, you know, I mean, it was just, it was, it was huge to, to, to sort of, and know like, Hey, did you hear what, you know, this, I can't remember those guys' names. I was a little too young to recall who they were. But uh, but you talk about them in school the next day as if, you know, as a fourth grader, like as if you're, you know, having a cigarette around your car and talking, you know, it wasn't quite like that. But, you know, you were trying to act like your big brother. Oh, God. And and then you go on a trip and you, you'd go through different like you'd go through New York or you'd go through New England and you'd hear Woo Woo Ginsburg and you would be like, whoa, this dude is Woo Woo Ginsburg. Woo Woo Ginsburg. And then you'd be so pissed when, you know, how that bubble of like receiving that station would die out. Right. And you'd right. be like, whoa, damn, I was just really getting into Woo Woo Ginsburg. And then that you'd is be like, phenomenon. I can't wait till we come home and I'll, I'll be sure to tune in for Woo Woo Ginsburg yeah. for another two hours on the yeah. way home. Yeah. Mr. The one thing on a car ride, my wife reminded me of this. The one thing you could always guarantee, no matter where you rode across the country, you know, stations would come and stations would go. But at 12 o'clock on weekdays, you could always find a station that had Paul Harvey. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> Page. And they were always like, you know, about, about the, you know, the, the, you know, the, football player who had one leg and he, you know, he was determined to, you know, he was gonna, you know, and, and he became a punter and you're like, what, what? He, yes. he punted in a, and, and, and he would always end with, uh, he would go, uh, uh, well, for, well, of course his catchphrase was, and now, you know, the rest of the story. Cause it would always be about like, you know, uh, little, uh, Little uh, Davy, as he was called, uh, growing up in uh, in in uh, I can't remember, it's like in Tulsa, Oklahoma, would save his money and always, you know, go down to the store and buy a Life magazine. And as an eight-year-old, he loved politics, and his parents always laughed about how funny it was. And then you go, and that little Davy became Dwight David Eisenhower. <laughs> and, 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 now you know, and now you know the rest. rest. Of the, of the story. story. And then he would go, he would go, Paul Harvey. Good day. Yeah. <laughs> pregnant pauses. My God. He had a oh everybody knew who that guy was. Oh, and yeah. Everybody, you know, would wait and kind of listen, you know, and once in a while they were actually pretty interesting stories. Oh, but you're always waiting to find out. And that woman was Jane Mansfield. I yeah. mean, I yes. <laughs> And, and we would, I can still remember the first time my brother called me into the kitchen. He goes, you got to hear this. You got to hear this. He was, he was fascinated with this voice and it was Paul Harvey. And he uh. said, you got to listen to this guy. It's amazing. He has the best stories and his delivery. And so we just got to the point, we would just sit there and both, we'd pause and we'd scream, page two, like that. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, of course. I forgot page two well and speaking of page two so my parents both teachers my mother in order to supplement the 
income that she had coming in and my father really didn't have coming in. That's a whole other episode. Uh, sold Amway. Uh, she would know like, oh, it's uh, uh, this Thursday. He's going to do an ad for Amway. And then, and it would be, and you know, we had all the Amway products in our house, so SA8 soap <laughs> and LOC lotion, uh, you know, uh, uh, dishwashing liquid. And I mean, and sure enough, like on Thursday at, you know, page two would be, you know, the good folks at Amway have <laughs> really have, have your concern at heart toward the environment. They have no phosphate in their SA8 soap. And I just, I, it was, he was a guy so many of those voices, I guess part of it was the depth and tonality, like Vin Scully, you know, oh, like yeah. like just guys that you just kind of Orson Welles doing a radio ad for, you know, for uh, 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 what did he do? One of those horrible wine companies that oh, he would God, do. Yeah, we would sell no wine before it's time, and, and you go like. Well, if he says it, it must be true. Exactly. You know, I mean, that, that voice. Was, it is. It was the center of my universe. That that AM radio. It, okay. it, it was. I remember one night my parents had gone out to dinner. It's nineteen sixty nine, seventy maybe. Uh, I'm a latchkey kid. I, I you know, I, I, I'm just used to being on my own. And that night, I'll never forget. I don't ask why. I made popovers. <laughs> oh, cherry popovers? No, no, no. These were like, you know, kind of like Yorkshire pudding, kind of you know, breaded ones. Uh, the, oh. the, uh, savory, not sweet. Okay. Uh, uh, and and uh, uh, and they were really, they came, came out really well. And and uh, and the end of the story should be, and I went to the Culinary Arts Institute, and and uh, and, and now I'm, uh, I'm the chef at a Michelin restaurant. But I, I'm not. The rest of the story. <laughs> Uh, may we use that at least once in every episode uh, uh, podcast from, from here on out. But I, but I was in the kitchen on Nerf, listening to WFUN. This guy, this guy came on in this thick Jamaican accent as a, you know, okay, we're going to take, uh, you know, I can't think of uh, Jerry, Jerry from, from uh, Kendall in, in South Miami. And I go, hey man, I want to hear that song about my hometown. And, uh, and he goes, what? And I, I want to hear that song about my hometown. <laughs> and uh, he's like, all right. Okay, thanks, Jerry. Thanks very much. Hangs up and goes, hey, if anybody knows what song he's talking about, give me a call. <laughs> and I know he's talking about Montego Bay oh. in Jamaica. Yeah. And that song, which was, you know, I don't know, probably a top 20 hit at the end oh, of God, the year, yeah. 1969 or whatever. Yeah. I thirst to be thirsty in in Montego Bay. So I, I call and, you know, the phone's right there in the kitchen. It's that, you know, the wall phone with the long cord that you can kind of walk the entire, you can God, walk yeah. around the entire apartment building if you needed to. Yeah. And, uh, and damned if he didn't answer. Whoa. And I was, and I, and I was on, I just remember like, again, I don't remember the guy's name. I should really look it up. It would be easy to find out who was on WFU at like nine o'clock at night in 1969. And, uh, and he said, oh, we've got Don. Uh, Don, what are you? <laughs> it's like, well, I, I think that guy's calling about Montego Bay. Oh, of course, Montego Bay. All right, well, let's hear Montego Bay. And, of course, it was he, they would pre-record it during other songs and then play it back, you know, 10 minutes later. Hung up the phone, listened to the radio, and there was my voice. 
Wow. And I think, you know, other than the fact that nobody likes hearing what their voice sounds like. No. Uh, 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 it was my first brush with fame. <laughs> well, there you go. It, it was uh, that, that uh, but, but again, because... That was the guy calling Bobby Bloom, the the artist who did Montego Bay? Or no, 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 no. Some guy who wanted to hear Bobby Bloom's song. Okay. And, and, and good for you for knowing that. Uh, uh, yeah, no, but it was so like. Well, one hit was, wonder. It, well, yeah, exactly. And it was, but everywhere you went, the AM radio was playing. I mean, you know, oh, yeah. I, 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 you know, I mean, it's. I can I can think of a hundred places where you'd walk into. We had a thing called the. Uh, the Dade County Youth Fair. And uh, I think it still goes on. And it was back in the day, it was, you know, five miles west of South Miami in Nowheresville. I mean, it was just a, (laughs) it, it was there because there was just nothing. And of course now it's like a thriving, you know, Palmetto, it's a big city and, and all that. But but I can I distinctly remember things like there was a ride called the Himalaya, and it went backwards in a circle, oh. kind of up and down really fast. But they would blast music. Oh yeah, those <laughs> rides always, those carny rides always. Blast. They were oh, oh no no they were awesome. That's where you heard a lot of that. And I remember hearing like uh, 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 Venus. By yeah. Shocking Blue, yes, <laughs> that was a that was a big song, and uh, uh, Frankenstein. Uh, that, oh yeah, that was oh, big. Yeah. With the roller coaster, the, Crystal Blue Persuasion, and Crimson and Clover, yes. both by Tommy James and the Shondells. I mean, oh, I, one of the great I, super groups of the '60s. I think I'm alone now. I, before Banana Rama, there was Tommy James and the Shondells. That's the thing with the top 40 but also the transistor radio because it could go everywhere it it followed you everywhere and there were moments that happened that now forevermore when you right. hear a song you instantly associate it with that moment this if, is where i was if if i hear the dave clark 5 you don't got such a beautiful face you know, but baby, you got what it takes. I am instantly on the driveway of the Kelly house playing pickup basketball with Jamie, Bruce, and Bob Accordy. And and because that, that was the song that just happened to really, you know, it must have happened at some moment in the game or something. Sure. And it just sure. caught my attention. And now forevermore, whenever. And by the way, having that transistor radio while you were playing basketball, which you could oh, have yeah. done in the days of the big tube and your, you know, and the of big course. stereo system. Yeah, of course. It was the precursor of hanging speakers out of your dorm room, you know, so that your music would blast. We would blast that transistor radio so all the neighbors would know how hip we were and <laughs> it would keep you entertained while you were doing other things. That's that we, uh, uh, I can, you know, I'm sure we can volley these over the net, uh, uh, half dozen times at least. Uh, uh, so for me, <laughs> as soon as you said, it, it's like, oh yeah, Ken Neary's house, uh, we, we, the, the, you know, dusk would be set, set, settling in and he'd have his garage door open and he's the only kid I knew who had weights. Oh, who had like, you know, the bench sure, and sure. the, and, and so, and I, you know, I never got into that, but there were several, I, I would just kind of go over there and hang out. 
but there were several of them. And I'll ne- I just remember Iron Man playing for the first time, hearing hearing Black Sabbath and going like, what is that? I mean, who yeah. are those guys? And that's kind of a scary song. Yeah. <laughs> Plus it goes great with Pump and Iron. Well, it does. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Just like here's, you really are filling in the blanks. Uh, and, but I think that's part of, sometimes that's part of the association because I, I still think when I hear uh, Groovin' by the Young Rascals, Sure. Instantly go to one of the DePrince brothers. I never knew which one was which, but because they, they were older than I was. But one of the DePrince brothers is lying in the grass with this girl on a blanket and a transistor radio, and Groovin is playing, and he's all over this girl. And I'm thinking, oh, <laughs> wow. man, I can't wait to be that age. He looks like he's having fun. <laughs> And that's as soon as I hear any song by the Rascals, the first thing yeah. I think of is that the Prince kid making out, you know, yeah. right there in public. But you know, he was in some grass uh, right by the uh, Coverbridge Creek, and I thought that was the most, you know, like, oh, that's the way teenagers live. And okay, all... so I'll hit, I'll hit, I'll hit the ball back over the net to you and say, again, Dade County Youth Fair, double Ferris wheel. Tim Volpe and I get on. I don't know. We actually. We didn't really have dates, but we kind of hung out with these other girls who lived in the same apartment, and yeah. they must have wandered off somewhere else. So we we get on like, yeah, you want to go? I oh, sure I go. All right, I'll go. So uh, the in order to uh, to load the lower Ferris wheel, the upper Ferris wheel stops at the very top, and we were at the very top. Yes, of the very top, <laughs> and I just every time I hear "Ticket to Ride," oh. I think. I remember that song playing. I remember both of us being scared to death, and and but but so both of us going, he's got a ticket to ride, you know, <laughs> and, and then you know, of course, that's all you knew. You didn't know, like, yes. you know, I think I'm gonna be sad. You're, she's got a ticket to ride. Well, there you go again. You're on a ride that needed a ticket and a ticket to ride. <laughs> You know, I, what would I do without you? I, I uh, it is a strange giant hand of Paul Harvey is manipulating me <laughs> in some way. <laughs> hmm. All right, I'm, I'm going to come up with another one, and I want you to find out what the uh, association is. Yeah. Well, speaking of the association, yes, they used to do a thing every Fourth of July on WFIL where they would have, it was like the Revolutionary War. They'd play a British invasion song, then they'd right. play an American band song, and the winner was played again. And you oh, had to knock off the winner, like another British. And I remember the association cherishes the word I wow. use to describe. Sure. There couldn't have been a slower song. There couldn't have been a sappier song except for like maybe, but honey, I love you. Yep. And and so this won at least 19 times in a row, knocking off all the great British invasion songs, which was my cup of tea. I just love British, you know, the animals, the stones, the beef. Of course. The yardbirds. And they're all dying a thousand deaths at the hands of cherish is the word. I- <laughs> 
given the association for this. Right. Uh, until I read about one of the guys dying, and I thought, well, okay, time to bury the hatchet. And, and that was about three years. I'm sure they were all grateful to you. That was about yeah. three years ago. But we would literally, <laughs> we'd get so sick, we'd run out of the house and go, God, we can't, you know, I can't listen to this anymore. And then like 15 minutes later, we were just dying of curiosity. Okay, who's winning now? And cherishes the word is still going. It just went on and on. All out. Well, you make a good point because, I, you know, I'm, I'm, again, looking at, I just kind of went back and looked at the top 100 from like 67 to 72. So, so funny you should mention honey. Oh, those years, they're, I, they're, it's really, you really start to see why FM radio came along, uh, not just because there was no static, but so that you could play other things because, all right, so. 1968, number one song, Hey Jude. Good, good song. N- number three song, Honey. Mm. Number two song, Love is Blue, an instrumental. Wow. Paul I mean, so it Paul was Mario. It was these years of, of, of where, like, you know, you, 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 they're playing all these songs on the same radio station. I mean, how could yeah. you possibly follow Cherish with Iron Man? Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I love you drove me nuts because I'd be I'd I'd be, be my dad would drive me to little league practice. So I had about eleven minutes to listen to the radio, right? Sure. And seven of them would be taken up by Bobby Goldsboro singing a <laughs> song that dealt with the entire lifespan of his love of his life, who died some tragic death. And you're like, my God, I could have heard Painted Black, uh, We Gotta Get Out of This Place, and Heart Full of Soul in the time right. I was forced to listen to Honey by Bobby freaking Goldsboro. And I have See the that. tree, how big it's grown, but friends, it hasn't been too long since she hung herself and <laughs> i i still haven't forgiven that g-man well talk about and now you know the rest of the story and <laughs> that is you know all right okay you're just waiting waiting for the other shoe to drop in this song something horrible is going to happen here yes <laughs> the other song like that was it, it, it had a little bit more of a bounce to it but the freaking elusive butterfly of love by bob lynn that was another song that took up four minutes of my life i'll never have back sure seven times a day that was that's what killed the radio right there was just like you said hearing songs you didn't want to hear over and over and over again yeah, and you know it's funny. I heard them talking about oh God, what's oh I know it was. Uh, I heard the remaining members of Sticks minus Dennis DeYoung interviewed the other day. Yeah, and they were talking about their first hit, which was "Lady." Okay, yeah, and and not the uh, not uh, Lionel Richie's uh, "Lady." This was uh, "Lady." Anyway, it was a. Cool song, and it built up to this sort of Revelian Bolero ending thing. And uh, but 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 they they said when it hit, and it hit locally. It hit like on WLS uh, in Chicago, and uh, no one else had any idea what the song was. But this one jock loved it, and that's really how they how they became who they became. But they said they played it. They just said we're going to play it every hour. Oh, wow. and they played that every hour so it was you there were songs you couldn't listen to the radio 
all day without hearing certain songs every hour. Right? And by the way, who knows? I mean, was there any payola involved in any of that? Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Stick, by the way, as an aside, Sticks played at our prom. Oh, no way. Yeah. Uh, uh, junior year up at Culver in Indiana, we, we had uh, hired them. Funny. And, and, and no, no, they were cheap because uh, we, we hired them just before a lady came out. Oh, okay. Because they, we just, we knew them. They were in a lo, you know, local Chicago area band and someone yeah. probably who went to school knew who they were and they did everything they could to get out of that contract, but they couldn't. <laughs> and they came and they played and it was unbelievable. I mean, it really was in a, in a, in a room, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a dining hall uh, uh, at the camp part of the school. So it must, you know, probably held 200 people and there were probably a hundred of us there. I mean, it was just, un- <laughs> it really was incredible that I always like to say, yes, uh, who was your, who was your band for prom? You know, oh. mine was sticks. Well, well, that's the, that, that's probably the zenith of, of, high school proms we were close to the nader in that our theme of our prom was pieces of april by song oh one of your of course this was 74 when it's three dog night right i don't even remember pieces of april i've got pieces of april who did it yeah i think it was three dog night and and there there was like uh, the night Chicago died by paper. <laughs> uh, yep. Billy, don't be a hero. Bo Haywood. I mean, it, this was a low point in music history. But but I'll tell you one of the lower points, and this is kind of a, a fun story. I'm I'm sitting there listening to the transistor radio, and on comes this song, and I'm like, this freaking commercial will never what is with this commercial it's been like three and a half minutes and it's still going on and they haven't even told you where this restaurant is and it was it was actually the song it was the first time i ever heard come to the cabaret my friend you know it was that song from the movie cabaret yeah and i guess it was a top 40 song it was a top 40 song and the first time i ever heard it i thought it I thought it was a local Philadelphia restaurant or nightclub. And they yeah. kept singing the same damn words about this sure. cabaret. Yeah. It it's never a- ended. And they never told you where it was. And I yeah. was just like, oh, I yeah. hate this place. And I've never even been there. <laughs> how they, you know, it's like, like, how are they going to fit the words all you can eat into this? <laughs> <thing>? <laughs> this wow. Well, we all know your seniors your- eat for free. <laughs> you're, you're, your well-known hatred of, of, of anything, uh, uh, any kind of musical uh, uh, without them. Although I, there probably were body counts in Cabaret. Uh, it, well, in the movie, I don't know about the song. No, I don't think of the song. No. But there was there was a decent body count in the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's that's yeah, that's that's exactly right. I so I know I think you guys probably covered something like this. All right, so so my the the, the Transistor radio that I actually bought when I finally had enough money. Yes, is, is like seventh grade, eighth grade, sixty, you know, sixty-nine, seventy, uh, and it was about the size of an iPad. If you laid it flat and made it about three inches thick, but not only was it a radio, it was a record player. Whoa! 
and and you put the record on it obviously it stuck over the sides and the tone arm was was like you know it, <laughs> just this like bar and a needle and it played through the same speaker that the radio played so that's where like i mean most of the time i would use it as a you know to, to listen to free radio all you know uh, uh, wow. because because it was free but i do like do you remember like the first record I, you bought Wait, wait a second. I have no knowledge of this device that you're talking about. Oh, yeah. If you look it up, you can kind of see portable. Like there were, you know, there were obviously, there were, you know, I'm sure you remember somebody had or maybe you guys had a portable uh, a record player with the lid that lifted up. And My daughter, you know, the, my daughter yeah. has a retro one now in her uh, apartment. Exactly. Exactly. So it's those are big enough that yeah. you can put the record on the entire turntable of 33 and a third and an LP and uh, yeah. But this thing was just like just big enough to accommodate it without being any bigger. And, and uh, uh, it was, uh, and I think it was made, I want to say it was made by Philco. I don't know. But I, but man, I wore that thing out. And, and, uh, and I'm, I'm always, uh, this would be the, the, the a difficult uh, confession. So that the, the, uh, the first, the first, uh, the first album I ever got was at the Dade County Youth Fair because the radio stations would always have the booth. Oh, yeah, sure. And the jock would be there, and they'd yes. have the microphone, and you could kind of hear it from a mile away. And they would have these silly contests where, like, you know, they, they you know, like, name one of the Supremes or, you know, <laughs> you know or, or, you know, uh, 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 or play, like, you know, the first, the opening notes of Hey Jude, and you'd go, oh, Hey Jude. And they would give you the free records that they got yes. from the record companies, okay, the cutouts, the cutouts. You probably saw them in like record bins, you know, where it would be the album, but about if, uh, uh, you know, an inch in the upper left-hand corner would be cut. Yes. And I guess it was to designate that it's not for resale. Not for resale. Yes. And the first one I got was a Warner brothers compilation album. And then no artwork. It was just white. Whoa. And had a list of the songs, and I can't remember anybody on it except. And the the Beatles stole that design later, right? <laughs> this may have, I think this. Well, I don't know. Was it before or after? Yes, one one came first. I'm not sure what was the chicken and what was the egg, but but the uh, but they were the only song I remember on it was uh, was America's uh, I Need You. And it was oh, on yeah. the same album, their their first album with Horse with No Name, which is another yeah. earworm song for me. I just yeah. I go nuts if I ever hear it. But Mr. Um, Golden Hair Surprise. Uh, all, all you know, you know, I could do an entire episode. Ventura on Highway, yeah. I, I, the worst, some of the worst lyric writing of, of all time. But I digress. Uh, uh, I want you was on there, and I was the coolest kid in the block because everybody knew Horse with No Name. But I would go. Uh -huh. you know they have this other song called I Need You. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't on the radio yet. So that that was my first first album that that I uh, that I had. And I, wow. Th because I didn't have to pay for it. Wow. Well, see, I lucked out cuz I had an older brother who just was right. totally into music. So I had the I had my hands on the Kinks, the Stones, the Yardbirds, Cream, Jimi Hendrix, you know, all that kind of music which was his favorite kind of the animals. So that's where I got my love of the British invasion and and harder yeah. kind of music uh yeah. and the top 40 baby uh honey I love you stuff. And and uh 
But I will say the very first album I bought on my own, because my brother had left for college, was the original album by the Monkees. Huh? Because of the, you know, the TV show was big. Sure, of course. I was into the Monkees. And, Couldn't miss that. And so that was my first album. Now, my first 45 was White Room by Cream. And, <laughs> and I bought it the same time as On the Road Again by Canned Heat. So a little, ah. a little different than my album taste, but yeah. the, uh, sure. but, sure. and I remember we gave Chuck Gatos an insane amount of shit because he bought what, when I bought that and some of my friends were buying other, you know, hard rock songs, Chuck Gatos bought Frida Payne's Band of Gold. We were just like, you know, now that you're gone, all down, 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 down. Yes, you perfect imitation of that twangy guitar. Must have been Dwayne Eddy playing back. Probably. And, but the funny thing, now I listen to it and I kind of like that song. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, there was, you know, I, so my first single was Cinnamon Girl. Oh. And, and, but. You know, so you had this education. I remember my brother and his friends listening to, to you know, the Kinks and Animals and Beach Boys and all that. Yeah. But my brother went off to high school, so I didn't have him around. So, again, I was just left with AM radio. Yeah. So I heard the song Cinnamon Girl. Oh. And I went and bought the, the 45. Cut to years later, college, I'm sure, uh, where, I, where I go, oh, this is actually off of, of an album. Oh, oh. this album has... <laughs> Down by the river, like, has, you know, uh, yeah, down by the river and cowgirl in the sand. <laughs> and I'm going, wow, this guy was pretty, you know. And then I'm going, oh, maybe I should listen to this guy. And, and of course, you know, I mean, I, it, it, it was it was that way all the time. My my first LP to buy. This is where I, I have to wonder if I'm going to say it. My first LP that I bought was by Gilbert O'Sullivan. Oh, no. Say it is not so. You may have to cut the, the, the episode right here. <laughs> I'm sorry. And I'm sorry. I'm guy. sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, because again, and you again, and our abandonment issues, Alone it, Again it, Naturally. It goes back. It goes back to Alone Again Naturally. By the way, it's not Alone Again Naturally. It's Alone Again, parentheses, naturally. Oh. <laughs> it, it, my mother, for the rest of her life, Every time she heard that song, would start crying oh because she re- she would hear through the closed door of my bedroom me playing that song over, oh. over and, and over, over again. It's on, so sad. In your, on your crutches with a gash in your head. <laughs> oh, it's so sad, Dave. Dave, I don't know how I managed to become the guy in America, Dude. but but somehow I struggled through. You voluntarily listened to Alone Again? And voluntarily told you that I did. That's the other thing. That is, your abandonment issues are too strong. This this is out. No, they're incurable. Oh, trust me. No, they're incurable. My my wife is about to go to a book club right now, and and I'm, I'm feeling a little... A little lost. Wow. Well, let's talk. Let's change back to a a, 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 a more pleasant subject. That being, that <laughs> hey, don't don't you diss Gilbert O'Sullivan? He was a very talented, very talented guy. He couldn't even come up with his own freaking name. He had to borrow somebody <laughs> else's. The Neil Young, um, Cinnamon Girl, it was the song that was playing 
when I first told my future wife that I loved her because what? That's how powerful that song was to my wow. inner core. And and I'm colorblind, and I thought my wife had cinnamon-colored hair. Well, that's what I was going to ask. That was the next question. It would be really special. Again, it would be in a Barry Levinson movie if she actually had cinnamon hair. Well, she did. In my, you know, I think she did. I'm. It, she. Some may have called it auburn, but in my colorblindness, I always thought it was the color of cinnamon, which was one of the things I loved about her, and because yeah. uh, I love cinnamon toast, and. Uh-huh. And that was, when that song came on, when that song came on and the moment was right, I I just couldn't help myself. I had to tell her how I felt. And, wow. And the uh, and another addendum to our Neil Young story, that album you were talking about. Um, everybody knows this is nowhere. Everybody knows this is nowhere. The three songs on there: Cinnamon Girl, Down by the River, and uh, Cowgirl in the Sand. sand. Yeah. I believe that. Neil Young wrote them all in the same day. Wow! While he was suffering from a uh, flu, he was home in bed with a fever, and That's ridiculous, like a fever dream. These lyrics came to him, and the rest is history. Yeah. Well, you know that actually leads, I guess, into sort of the demise, one of the demises of AM radio, which was. You know, the advent, the technology of, of FM radio and how good FM radio became back in the day because they somehow figured out, and I don't know what the economics were behind it, but that people would gravitate toward these stations if they played album rock. Yes. And, and obscure cuts. And sometimes and, whole sides of an album. Exactly. And, and uh, uh, you know, like I remember, you, I'm sure you remember WXYC at, uh, at Carolina and just how great and obscure and, and but that really was sort of the, the beginning of the end. I did. I, I gave up the transistor radio. I had a I think it was made by by like Crosley, which was, you know, still making radios from the, you know, since the wow. 20s. Yeah. But they had a combination uh, a, a record player and, and AM FM and then two speakers that, you know, you could have could separate and put across the room and, and, uh, and started listening in in Miami. It was WSHE, which, uh, uh, she one Oh three. And, and, uh, and that was like, and they all, all the jocks stopped, you know, talking about, Hey, Barry and Billy Bobby, you know, to like, okay, we're going to, you know, like Jim Ladd just died. Actually. There, there was a guy from, from LA in my early days in LA who just, very oh, yeah he, he wound up kiss right yeah uh, he yes and and but he was also on uh uh he was on uh kmet uh, the mighty met but but his last few years he was on uh, uh sirius xm and and deep yeah. tracks and and playing all those things but yeah. uh yeah all those guys became the stars and and you know, the really obscure, low-key, we're not getting excited here. This is, and probably a lot of that had to do with, with pot culture, you know? Yeah. Like, if, you, if you've got it, don't harsh my high by... Uh, <laughs> Screaming you know, at me. <laughs> by chattering, by, by, by playing alone again naturally. Hey, man, it's <laughs> Sunday. You don't need to tell me four times it's Sunday. <laughs> yeah, I don't need to know the weather every hour. I don't, you know, all, all that. Oh, you know, that reminds me, actually. Do you, I'm jumping all over here. I apologize. Uh, I really shouldn't have had that second Coke. Uh, <laughs> the, 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 uh, do you remember, 
they they AM radio used to have uh you know have the news on the hour. Yeah, oh yeah. And oh, and in order to I time know. it, they would there were like a half dozen songs that they would play that were instrumentals that then they would fade out at the top of the hour. And one of them was like Green Onions. Oh, great. You know, yeah. there's like Booker great. T and the MG had several of those songs. Yes. Time is tight. <laughs> exactly. And I just like, you know, dun, 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 dun. and then like, dun, 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 KLIF 11, the mighty 1190, news <laughs> on the hour. You know, I mean, it was just, it was, you just don't hear that anymore. No, what can be- I tell you? It just became such a cliche, and uh, but I used to love. Remember George Carlin doing the hippy dippy weatherman, who would sort of yeah. take that you know, AM radio weather guy who was so excited. Well, do you remember the name of that album? No, was a, was AM FM. Oh, was it? Yeah, and one side was called AM, and one side was called FM. Oh, brilliant! That was an album that I me and all of my, I and all of my friends memorized. Oh yeah. It, and would just <laughs> do the routines any chance you had in junior high, you know. Yes, <laughs> yes. Wonderful wino, but it's not <laughs> often. You know, I just still that stuff is sealed in my brain. Yeah. You know, the other thing you touched on it real quickly and to me the the, the greatest purpose of the transistor radio when I was really little, you know, probably around eight, nine years old, was you it was the the one ticket to the World Series when they played World Series during the day and you had school. That's right. You would that's right. You would judge your teacher for the rest of the school year on whether she was the kind of teacher that let you bring in a transistor radio and listen yep. Yep. the last hour of class before yep. you were dismissed or right. the types like Mrs. Frickin Bowman, who was such a disciplinarian that no way can we mess with my, you know, learning plan for one hour of the entire school year to listen to Bob Gibson pitch to Mickey Mantle. That just has, and, and for that, I will never forgive her. And, 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 but it was just such a thing of beauty to listen and, and to relax and everybody got into it. You know, people who didn't even care about sports were like, right. we are listening to the World Series instead of in school, instead of doing fractions. Exactly. And, yeah, no, absolutely. That you're, you're absolutely right. That was that was the high point of the transistor radio for me. And then the other thing about transistor radio is there's two things really one is everybody blames the fact that you know we're that my generation is losing its hearing early because we listen to so much loud music no right no it's because even if we did it once we inserted those nasty earplugs that came with the transistor radios that were designed to puncture your eardrum Right. That was the only purpose of that design was they right. had this long metallic pin needle, basically, yeah. that you would stick in each ear. And even yeah. then, the sound leaked all over the place. It's not like... No, you couldn't go anywhere on the planet without seeing something plastic every five minutes of your life, but nobody... Or, or rubber. Nobody ever thought of putting rubber on the ends of those tips. No, never. <laughs> and they never made a wire that didn't, like find a way to curl itself up like a snake and 
just, just oh the things we had to deal with i you know these the kids these days i know they don't know what we what we went through fortunately since we had to walk two miles in the snow you had plenty of <laughs> yeah thanks thanks, thanks a lot well I, you know that same article i read about the invention of the transistor radio also mentioned that a few years before video killed the radio star oh yeah uh cassettes and the walkman killed transistor radios yes and uh which makes makes total sense and kind of that that's that is sort of and suddenly i remember taylor actually talking in an earlier episode of you guys talking about i think he was talking about the walkman yes and, and yeah, sort of the way that really changed changed things because then you could listen you didn't to, have to depend on the dj right you know yep. and, uh was it uh, joe jackson i'm tired of djs why is it whatever he plays you, you know make your own mixtape Exactly. So, so that kind of was, but you know, it's still out there. I, I, it's hard for me to believe. I understand. I understand why people have priorities to where they want to spend their money. And, and, and for some, it, it is not music. It, for me, it's the first thing. And, and, and it is because I have a soundtrack in my head all the time and it's not always Gilbert O'Sullivan. Yeah, thank God. And, and, and so it's like satellite radio to me is, is a godsend. It's, 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 un- it's oh, unbelievable. Yeah. Oh, the underground garage, little Stevie. And then, uh... yeah. And then, but, but when you do you like get a rental car and you forget to get it or you don't want to pay for it and you go back to listening to, to, to oh. commercial radio, it's just like, Oh, the drudgery. The, it's just oh, the talk and the, 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 what people, you know, uh, uh, take as comedy and, you know, the, the couple from, you know, the, the small town who are the, you know, the, 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 the two funniest people in the town who were, you know, hosting the show and oh. you know, saying stuff that, you know, is naughty, but nice. And, you know, too bitter just... to consider. I'm, I, I, I insist every car I rent has a serious radio because I'm yeah. so spoiled. That's right. That I've got to have that. In fact, I this is how spoiled I am. I start to chafe under my collar when one of the DJs talks about all the wonderful DJs they have over. <laughs> yeah, I know. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, that's true. It, it takes them like you know forty five seconds to get through it. I don't have that kind of time. I got to hear music. So boom, yeah. I'm on to like the Bakersfield beat or you know deep tracks or something. I can't listen to any talk anymore unless yeah. they're talking about the history of music, how something was recorded or this, right. thing, you know, something you know, that, like, you know, Meg Griffin has a great show. She's one of those, you know, God, she's probably 70 now, you know, but she was one of those first FM obscure. Hey, maybe, you know, if you like these guys, maybe you should listen to this, okay. and, you know, that kind of thing. She yeah. has a great show. I think on every Sunday morning. Yeah. There's just such a great, and so there's, Hundreds of channels. The rise of the transistor radio was when the Beatles, it, it sort of matched when the Beatles came. And, right. And, and music just was kicked up a notch in terms of cultural importance and, and yeah. how everybody was on the same page musically. And, you know, at one time, I think the Beatles had like the top five hits on, you know, WFIL. And, yeah, 63, uh, 64, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think that really gave rise to that whole British invasion, which is the most influential music in my life. And, right. you know, the, the animals and the stones and the and the yardbirds, you know, rode the Beatles' coattails in a way. Well, everybody did, you know. I mean, and, and, and they'll gladly admit it, you know. It's like there, there's, 
there, you know, you can't, no one is interviewed who doesn't say, yeah, well, when the Beatles came out, that's, you know, I went out and bought a guitar or I, you know, I'm just, all, all that stuff. So yeah. Yeah. But, but you're right. It is, it was radio that brought that. And of course the irony there is a lot of that is over there, they were listening to our music, right. our, our rhythm and blues and, you know, Muddy Waters and Little Richard and Little you know, Walter, Chuck Berry and all those guys. And they just, they soaked it up because we weren't listening to it. And and then just brought it back and yeah, like you know, boomerang started the phenomenon. Yeah, boomeranged right back at us. It's yeah. uh, you know interesting that you look at artists that these guys covered the Beatles and the Stones in their early in their early albums were and most of them were cover songs for the Stones right. at least at the very very beginning. And it's just black rhythm and blues artists and uh, and and phenomenal ones at that. They had great taste in what they cherry picked. But right. they did make it their own, you know, through Keith's guitar and Charlie's drumming and mixed lyrics, uh, not lyrics, uh, you know, interpretation. Uh, as, as same with the animals, you know, some of their songs were. I was always amazed that uh, uh, "We Got to Get Out of This Place" was written by, uh, you know, an American guy in New York. Um, yeah. It just sounded so much like it was like Manchester, England, or something dirty. And Those crazy. guys were unbelievable. Eric Burden was amazing, and 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 you know, it's interesting because I, I two quick things about the animals. One is, I think it was the summer of '68, and I, we lived on the University of Miami campus in Coral Gables, and uh, a place that had a swimming pool, this giant, actually twin Olympic-sized pools, and in between that was a diving area where they had, uh, you know, the usual six foot and three foot diving boards, but then they had three tiered platforms Oh, and, and they would let, you know, I was 10 years old and they, yeah, sure. Go ahead, kid, jump off. You know, (laughs) (laughs) it's just like, you know, the the idea that they would do that now impossible. But, uh, but the neat thing about that place was uh, uh, they had speakers underwater. Oh, wow. So, so there are songs that, I hear and only think about, you know, like, like we got to get out of this place. I remember yeah. being underwater and we got to get out of it. And you come up for air and then you wouldn't hear it. And then you go, girl, there's a better, you know, it Whoa. was, it was, and, and, and then that on the student union there, right next to the pool, I went to my first concert by myself. I'm sure my parents didn't really understand what was going on. But it was easy because you could just kind of walk around the campus. And, you know, it was no big deal. And yeah. and uh, walked over there at night. And it was, I'm sure it was 68 because uh, it was the year of, the major year of student unrest. Okay. And the animals were going to play. And the giant crowd shows up. And the guy gets on uh, up to the microphone and he says, you know, I'm sorry, but the animals... Uh, will not be performing there. And he just said, he said, they're nervous about their Whoa. safety. Whoa. And, you know, you know, then of course like it's exploded and people are pissed off. And he said, but we we're getting another band. So hang around They're They're on their way. And it was the platters. Oh, my prayer. <laughs> so, not, not exactly in the same genre. And, 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 you know, uh, uh, it's all these kids are like, you know, these 18, 19, 20 year olds in 1969, the platters, a great, but it turned out to be exactly. It turned out to be 
fabulous. It was kind of that that Shauna Nafiel. You remember that phenomenon? Oh yeah, yeah. That's the first concert I ever went to. First live concert was Shauna. Awesome. Nafiel. Who played a Woodstock? You yeah. Know? And so there was that 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 idea of nostalgia for what was essentially probably you know a good ten years before that. Yeah. But they were fabulous. Oh, I mean, the platters they, were phenomenal. They, they were, you know, they were great. They were great. I guess we should wrap this up. I, I, uh, I, I want to say, uh, uh, I'm going to vote that we change the name of the podcast to oil and vinegar. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm oil, you're vinegar. Yeah. You, you've got, you have, <laughs> you have really, you know, I, I only, I, my only wish tonight is that you go to bed with, with the one again, naturally as your earworm oh. and you somehow can't get it out of your head. No, that, 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 I cannot believe. I remember oh, I cried oh. my father died, never wishing to hide the tears. Come on. That's poetry, man. Well, we've come to another storybook ending. Thanks for stopping by the Stories Unlimited podcast. That's Stories UNLTD. Hey, we'd appreciate you following us on Spotify as well as Apple Podcasts. And you can always email us at storiesunltd at gmail.com. <laughs>